Bankside Arts Collective proudly presents the Bankside Repertory Theater production of Jeff Calloway's A Dickens of a Tale. This audio performance is an adaptation of the play, which was originally performed at the Jacoby Arts Center in Alton, Illinois, in 2015. If you like what you hear, we'd be very grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review us so that others can find their way to the work. We also encourage you to subscribe. Bankside Arts Collective will be producing more audio drama, as well as a variety of additional programs related to the visual and performing arts. Links to our website and other bonus information can be found in the show notes. But for now, grab a spot of tea, a warm blanket by the fire, sit back, relax, and enjoy a Dickens of a Tale. Our memorial service for Ebenezer Scrooge continues in the public salon of Burnham and Barry Limited, Undertakers. Thank you, Mrs. Cratchit. The day of Uncle's epiphany was certainly remarkable. It baffled most people. Yes, I see some of you nodding your heads. It's quite all right to laugh. It was such a complete and genuine conversion that the laughter of joy and amazement landed on the faces of almost everyone who was there that Christmas day. And one of the first people to see Uncle that very morning was our next speaker, Mr. Arthur Dodger. Please tell us about your auspicious first encounter with Uncle Scrooge, won't you? I was just lucky, I guess, for me to be there at that big moment. Since that Christmas our paths crossed, he was ever good to me. But before that, the first years I'd seen him, he looked at me like I was something you'd scrape off your boot before you went into the house. But then one Christmas morning, about ten years ago when I was a wee lad, everything was different. I was strolling down Scrooge's street in my Sunday clothes heading to church, my parents being their usual late selves far behind me. I was tired and yawny from the night shift at the post office, catching rats mostly, and I took my usual route past Mr Scrooge's dingy big house. When he throws up his window and barks at me from the first floor, What's today? Huh? I says, wondering who he's talking to. What's today, my fine fellow? He says. Fellow? I thinks to myself. What's he been drinking this early on a Sunday morning? But then I realised I was dressed in trousers and overcoat on account of the weather. Who knows? Maybe he didn't have his spectacles handy. So I thought I'd be charitable to the old geezer and said, Today? Why, Christmas Day! I'm looking up at him, and I see he's in his cap and nightshirt, looking as wild as if he'd spent the night playing tennis with bats. He starts muttering and gibbering to himself, so I think it's a good idea to keep heading churchward 
Don't want contagious madness falling over me on Christmas, eh? Then he says, Do you know the Polters in the next street but one at the corner? Was this a trick question, I asked myself. But then I says, I should hope I did. And he still keeps talking to me and jabbering to himself. An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey. The big one. What, the one as big as me? Ah, remember, I was a half-starved little young'un back then. Batty Master carries on. What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my dear boy. He says, it's hanging there now. Is it? The daft geezer says. Then go and buy it. Well, that just about set me off. What's his game playing with poor folk like that? It's an insult, it is. We could no more afford that bird than we could sprout wings and lay eggs. So I says to him, Well, this is a family gathering, so I won't repeat what I said. But Scrooge then says to me, No, no, I'm in earnest. Go and buy it. And tell him to bring it here, that I may give them directions for where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I mean to give you a half crown. God in heaven, you didn't need to tell me twice with that kind of money on offer. So I sprinted up to Jeff's and told him that old Scrooge had lost his mind and was buying his prize turkey. No questions as to the price, so leg it over quickly to his house and get the cash before he comes to his senses. I knew Jeff was in his shop because I'd passed it every day, wishing upon wishes we could have a Christmas dinner like that bird with all the trimmings. You didn't have to tell Jeff twice, neither. We leg it as fast as we can to Scrooge's, and sure enough, we get to his house, and he's still in his nightgown, looking every bit the bats were still swarming round his head. He greets us at his door with a, Whoa, how are you? Merry Christmas. He's chuckling like a maniac, but true to his word, he pays us both. Half a crown to me, and a fiver for Jeff. Plus, he says, why it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab. And as quick as Bob's your uncle, he pays a cab to take Jeff to some place in Camden Town and back. Doesn't even keep the bird for himself. If I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. The wheezy bugger blathers out his window, not even knowing what day it was, buys the biggest turkey I've ever seen for dinner, and then ships it off to God knows who in Camden Town. I was thinking of going by Scrooge's after church to see what else he might hire me to do. Get the butchers to send piggies to Parliament. <laughs> now, I suspected he'd been up all night drinking the furniture polish because no one would credit that bloody geezer Scrooge would caper around in his nightshirt and buy prized turkeys that he didn't intend to eat. Generosity, charitable spirit, don't make me laugh. Them's hardly the words you'd pin on Scrooge. Dirty tricks, now that's more like it. Mind you, this is the same cantankerous old buzzard that didn't give a tinker's cuss about working people on the street, didn't even acknowledge their existence. And now it's like I'm one of the family. Oh, he remembered me, all right. He became like a distant uncle I'd never had, suddenly returned home from the sea or a foreign war or something. If I was ever in need, all I had to do was call on him in his office and offer to do a bit of work and there'd be a shilling or two in it for me. Or Mr Cratchit here. He's as good as Mr Scrooge when it comes to that. Messenger jobs, bit of cleaning or fetching, I don't mind. 
I even got clever with counting and figures, hoping maybe there'd be a permanent situation there for me. But I still bless the day I ran beneath Scrooge's window that Christmas morning. You see, he made a real difference in the end with how he lived. Some of you weren't there, of course, but you should have seen how many people turned out at the church for his wake and visitation. You'd think the Prime Minister was being buried, such a crowd pressed into the church. Not any of our recent Prime Ministers, of course. Which is funny, because he would remember from time to time that he dreamed of being buried in a forlorn and forgotten churchyard, with a pitiful slate headstone, surrounded by weeds as the only marker of who he was. Not that he felt that he needed to be mourned. He said all his goodbyes while he was still with us. He remembered his friends in his will but gave most of his fortune to the aid societies and widows and orphans, the students at the ragged schools. But in the end, you see, he was only one man. I won't belittle what he did do, but it wasn't enough to bring any of us up to Belgrave Square. Don't know what I'd do if I lived up there, so it's not something I've thought about too much. Jesus once said that there would be poor always, which is a little bleak if you grow up in my house, but maybe we should still help where we can and leave the rest to providence. I suppose. Mind you, me and my folks aren't starving, but for real charity to take hold, there needs always to be jobs what pay a living wage, eh? Can't trust the government for handouts, nor would we want to. It's working what gives a person the steam to carry on, but is it fair to ask a person to work two, three, sometimes even four jobs just to keep current with the rent, to put food on the table and coal in the scuttle in winter? Hard times, right? Gets hard to live when you have to keep running from job to job. Meanwhile, one can't help but notice the fine clothes and trappings of them as go into offices and do Lord knows what all day without putting their backs into the labour that builds cities like this. Perhaps I am missing something. Different jobs have different values, yeah. And every man is worth his salt if he's an honest worker. But wouldn't you think by now, the year of our Lord, 1853, we'd have a better system for everyone, where the wealth of a nation ends poverty for good? I'm off now, but think about a couple of things as I go. I know that I've been thinking about this for a while. No offence to Mr Scrooge and all he's done for me, God rest his soul. But aren't we at the point where we don't really need more successful people, groping and grasping, and piling up fortunes on the back of others, don't we need instead healers, peacemakers, lovers, and storytellers? I'm a churchgoer, I admit, so don't laugh too hard at me when I say that in a Christian nation such as our dear old England, it might be a good idea for folks to pay more mind to what the Beatitudes say. And if we truly keep Christmas in our hearts every day, like Mr Scrooge did, <laughs> better late than never, huh? then we can rest easy knowing that we've done a good turn at life. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few things. I will make you master over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, and God bless the royal mail. Thank you, turkey boy. Oh, and by the way, congratulations are in order, I believe, on your recent appointment to the royal mail service. Ta, thanks very much, Mr. Fred. It's a good start, and I'm grateful to give it a go. Delivering parcels is a step up from killing rats, but, you know, hard times, eh? Yes, yes, indeed. We'll see it through, God willing. Amen. Well, 
After the Christmas Day visitations, dear Uncle Scrooge had more surprises in store for us. We were carrying on the celebrations the next day, Boxing Day, when Uncle sent a messenger to my house to come meet him at his house. An invitation. Who would have believed it? A few folk had already gathered on his stoop by the time I had arrived. Bob Cratchit was there, I was glad to see, and even his housekeeper, Mrs. Dilber. We followed him around the rest of the morning just to witness the miracle. He wished everyone a good day and a happy Christmas, and said that he was so glad to be out of the office while other businesses were still open. He'd bought Mrs. Dilber a new gown that was suitable for a regal ball, and a fine new heavy overcoat with gloves and a top hat for Bob Cratchit, and, bless my soul, a new wallet and a gorgeous walking stick for me. We were all lunching at the Savoy and earning curious looks from the patrons. Well, we were a rather interesting circus of folk, after all. When Uncle touched me on the arm and told me he'd like a private word when the meal was concluded, we toddled out of the dining room mid-afternoon with much shaking of hands and a thousand thanks, Mr. Scrooge, and all of that. We hip-parade him merrily as he whoop-whooped the rest of them into cabs and took me by the arm, saying, Walk with me, dear nephew. I wanted nothing else at that moment. I had no idea what to say further, but I was content just to be with the dear old man and to listen closely if he chose to speak. And speak he did. It was not the number of words that caused my eyes to water, but the feeling which he gave them. My boy, he began, I am sorry that I have almost wasted my life. Almost, I said, <laughs> instantly regretting the witticism. What was I thinking? Would I undo in a moment what must have taken a lifetime for him to realize? Cursing my cleverness, I was in the act of apologizing when he cut me off. Aha! Well said, Fred. You have every right to chastise me for the way I've treated your generosity and hospitality all these years past. Yes, indeed. I have been an abominable bore and killjoy ever since your dear mother passed on. Yes, and for many years before that, too. I was speechless. He pressed on, visibly moved by what he was about to say. You see, my boy... Uh, I beg your pardon. You see, I loved my sister more than my own life. She was the only thing in this world I cherished more than wealth and status. Fan was so precious to me that all the spark seemed to disappear in me when she died. Far too young. Far too young. I never got over it, not even to this day. Yes, do believe that is true. You may know from her that I once considered betrothal to a sweet young woman. Belle was her name, but never thought myself worthy until I could provide a suitable situation for a family. That became my excuse. As I sought to insulate myself from the disagreeable world your mother and I grew up in, I became more enamored of all that money can buy, and I swore that I would free us from father's influence once and for all. 
I had known that mother and uncle had had a difficult time at home as children, and neither one of them spoke much about my grandfather. Time carried on, of course, he continued, and soon I was enraptured by gain in taking advantage. Belle left me early, of course. Clever, perceptive, lovely-hearted Belle. Something I would never permit now, by God, and before I was able to be a well-heeled, prosperous, a man of means, Van was suddenly gone. There was nothing I could do for her. Excuse me for a moment. Tears from Uncle Scrooge? I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You have always been a capable lad, he went on after he had recovered himself. But I resented you for reasons you cannot understand. You were handy, however, and unforgivably I took out my anger and despair on you. My own blood, who should have been one of the dearest fellows to my bosom, seeing as I never opened my heart enough to have a family of my own. Shameful, just shameful. Fred, dear boy, if it is not too late for me to find a place in your seemingly limitless affections, would you consent to be my rightful heir? I should warn you that there will not be much of an estate at my funeral. I intend to use the fortune I have amassed for the public good and for the welfare of those nearest and dearest to me. I was gaping, I realized. Still speechless, I tried to stammer a response, but he chuckled and said, I know this is hard to grasp. I am giddy myself, but the spreading of cheer and charity has made me happier than I can ever remember being. Think of it, Fred, he cried, grabbing both of my arms and shaking me with enthusiasm. Think of all the good we can do and the lives we can touch. We, he was saying. We, I replied. Yes, you and I together. We can search out where we can do the most good and work together to bring some comfort to those struggling to stay warm and fed. Of course, I must continue in my business. There are employees to think about and households to support. But now I can see clearly where those profits can go instead of into vaults where moth and rust doth corrupt. Will you help me, dear boy? It gives me great joy to see how successful you have become all on your own initiative. No, beggar nephew you, eh? <laughs> no, sir, not for you. Instead, you should be my partner in charity. You show me the need and will build an answer for every question. I never noted the distance we had traveled, but before I knew it, we had walked the whole way to Uncle's house. I hadn't said above a dozen words, and even as we parted, he took the last. But I wish to thank you for the greatest gift you have given me, nephew. I could have been knocked over with a feather waiting for him to continue. I will never be able to repay this gift, I know. But at least I can tell you face to face how it has changed me. You never gave up on me. Lord knows why, I would have. I'm not as strong as you are, 
But you never gave up on me, in spite of all the bile and rancor I returned in response to your generosity. You never failed to welcome me into your life, regardless of every conceivable rejection. You never let me forget the duty of family and my abject failure in knowing what that means. You are the most persistent, intractable, relentless, and <laughs> warm-hearted young man an uncle could ever hope to have. You win, Fred, you win. I cannot remain angry and hateful of life when there are people like you in the world. Will you forgive me? I would dearly love to start again and find the joy that has been absent from my life for far too long. I had no words. All I could do was take him in my arms and hold him. Scrooge, the man who hated to be touched, he hugged me back with fervor and shook with sobs as we just stood there on his stoop with the snow falling gently down on us. Mr. Fred. Uh, yes? Ah, Mrs. Fezziwig. Yes, love. I've noticed that no one has partaken of the buffet, and I was wondering if a brief respite might be in order. Oh, well, perhaps. Uh, yes, we could. No, 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 don't trouble yourself, dear. I, I, I'll just bring the mountain to Mohammed, shall I? <laughs> yes, yes, I think that's the way. All right, then. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure, I'd like to introduce Mrs. Fezziwig, caterer extraordinaire and the wife of Uncle Scrooge's first employer. Bring the other trolley, Carrie. I can't cart all of this lot in by hand. Have you seen how many of them showed up? Mr. Fezziwig's firm was where Uncle Scrooge did his apprenticeship. And as you may guess, the motto there was work hard, play hard. It was also where Uncle first fell in love. In many ways, it was a very formative appointment. But sadly, it was also the time when the sorrows of his family life turned him sour and sent him on a long journey of bitterness. No, not that plonk. That will knock him out. Bring out the soft drinks first, and let's offset the melancholy a bit. Then we'll see if they'll want something stronger. I'm going back in with the nibbles. Perhaps this would be an excellent time to hear about Uncle's earlier years. I know Belle has come quite a ways to pay her respects to Uncle Scrooge, and so... <coughs> it appears we'll be graced with Mrs. Fezziwig's observations first. Madam, would you care to share what you knew of Uncle in his youth? Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't mean to rumble the whole ceremony, but I wanted to be sure that we could all keep our spirits up. <laughs> Yeah, you look a little peckish. Tuck in. They aren't getting any fresher, you know. Hey, uh, do you want some of that over there? Yes. Uh, Mrs. Fezziwig? Uh, yes? Would you care to take the lectern and share your thoughts about Uncle Scrooge? Oh, no, thank you. No? Well, these hors d'oeuvres are not going to serve themselves. Oh, I know. Why don't you ask me some questions about dear Ebenezer while we nosh? I must confess 
that I haven't prepared anything specific for tonight with regards to speeches, that is. We have plenty of food. Gary, you might as well serve up all the rest of that plonk. I see a few out here that could really use a stiff belt. All right, then. What was Uncle like during the time he was your late husband's apprentice? Uh, blast the luck. <coughs> for almost 50 years, Mr. Fezziwig and I have hosted a Christmas party that, well, it's become something of a local legend. And though I loved Ebenezer Scrooge like a son, I find it highly inconvenient that he died this week and had his memorial on this particular day. But we women of a certain age are resourceful and resolute. I shall not allow something as trivial as death to interfere with tradition and celebrating the birth of baby Jesus. No, no, leave off the brandy. Put it down, lad. There's nothing wrong with it, and you don't need to sample any more of it. <clears throat> My solution was, if I can't leave the Fezziwig Christmas party to attend the memorial for Scrooge, I'll bring the party to the memorial. If you're quick about it, there's brandy and punch over on the buffet. But don't dally. Carrie can't seem to keep a cork in it, apparently. In addition to the country reel and the mummer's waltz, we dance all of the most popular jigs, reels and waltzes and newfangled gyrations that the young ones are all abuzz about. <laughs> but we always finish with the Sir Roger to close out the festivities. Yes, nothing says Merry Christmas like a good rogering. By the way, now that we're all here, don't stint. Carrie and I have been cooking all day. The dancing will start in an hour after everyone has had some drinks and a bite to eat. Ah, oh, bless me, but I love the end-of-the-year holidays. Can't get enough of them. The festive decorations, the parties, the tradition. December is one mad rush at the Fezziwigs. And, of course... When you swing both ways, there's so much more to do. <laughs> Isn't that right, love? <laughs> yes, 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 that's right. We celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah at Shea Fezziwig. Mixed marriage, you know. Fezzi is a nominal Christian, and I am a full-fledged, rzaftig Jewish bell of the ball. <laughs> and I'll be dancing with you later on, too, Bubby. <laughs> But, but first, I need to catch my breath for a bit. Oh, let me give you some advice. And be very, very, very careful about mixed marriages. And know just how much of a pickle you are getting yourself into. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love my husband. <laughs> God rest his demented soul. That crazy old Christian lit me up like the Crystal Palace on a sunny day, if you get my meaning. Even after all these years. But we've done over 60 Hanukkahs and Christmases now, back to back. And I'm not as spry as I used to be. I mean, it seems like I was just getting the menorah polished and put away 
when I had to turn around and cram a star on top of the scotch pine the mist had dragged in from God knows where, dropping snow and soot all over the drawing-room floor. <laughs> Thank heavens he's such a good partner. We're like two peas in a codpiece, we were. We found that the secret to a long, happy marriage is a quiet, romantic dinner with just a hint of flirtation twice a week. He went on Tuesdays. <laughs> I went on Thursdays. <laughs> Joking, of course. Oh, Fezzi was a real peach, you know. Wonderful man. And men like him don't grow on trees these days. No, no. Usually, they're swinging from them. <laughs> but that dear old sot loved me truly, and he was great with the children and his apprentices. Could I complain? Yes, and I have. <laughs> but I keep in mind the bigger picture. When you express gratitude, you must go all in. Ebenezer finally understood that. It took him long enough. Slow learner, dear boy. Even after all the examples of holiday excess he shared at our parties, he saw the fabulosity but missed the point on what it was all about. That's my view. Don't get so caught up in the celebrations that you forget the reason for the season. Family. No matter the differences, politics, religion, social status, and other nonsense, we all need time to detach from the world and look at each other. Really listen to each other and cherish what is good about them. The world lashes us all year with our faults and failures. Holy days are the balm, if you will, the antidote. <laughs> Next year, I think I shall let it all hang out. Menorahs, candles, mistletoe. <laughs> you like that, wouldn't you, too, Sunny Jim? <laughs> Just let all the gratitude and happiness mix together. I may even ask the druids to have me over for the solstice celebration. Happy, happy, merry, merry. But, but go easy on the merry. The world is already populated well enough. Yes, and I'm looking at you over there, Roger McRandy boy. Right. Come on, Carrie. <clears throat> Let's go over to the great room and get everything set up for these nice people while they pay their last respects to dear old Ebenezer. And don't forget the figgy pudding. I've been marinating it for weeks. If you want to know more about Ebby, you should let me get back to the parlor and have Belle come up and talk about their torrid love affair. Oh, yes. The children were so cute. They had no idea they were so obvious. Of course, Mr. Fezziwig and I were aware of everything that went on in and outside of the shop. But we were never ones to stand in the way of true love. Oh, no, not us. <laughs> I remember saying to him at the time, Fez, <laughs> you have to let true love have its spring. You know, you bottle it up. It appears that I should set the record straight here a bit, hmm? I once knew a lovely lad with a curious name, Ebenezer. Not a bad sort, but very introverted. 
probably because he had to endure the taunts of Ebenezer, bloody Giza, or Evasneza, or heaven knows what else. Kids are merciless, especially in this world. I was just finishing school in those days and very impressionable. To be fair, Ebenezer was very charming in a sheltered, mama's boy, overly mannered sort of way. No trace of the bad boy or pirate there. Now, that would be quite funny, you know, the dread pirate Ebenezer, hardly the sort of name that inspires fear in the British Navy. But I must say that I truly loved Ebenezer Scrooge. It did seem a bit awkward at first, talking to him, because he had no nickname. One had to address him as Ebenezer all the time, which helped to preserve the distance and reserve in the relationship. My name has always been simple, Bell. It's not short for anything, but it sounds a bit like a pet name or another more intimate label. It means beautiful. And I'll thank my parents forever for that particular gift. Even at this advanced age, I have been told I still have it. Bell by name, Bell by nature. Vanity, ah well, it comes with success, I suppose. It is forgivable when you're in your 70s, I hope so. But enough about me. Ebenezer's recent passing has left a bit of a void in my life. We never carried our relationship past what once it was when we were young. I left him in practical terms, but it was he who left me for an idol of gold. We became aware of each other through Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig when Ebenezer first came to apprentice in Mr. Fezziwig's accounting firm and warehouse. I was a mere village girl who did some part-time work there, though I enjoyed school and was very dedicated to it. Ebenezer was the cleverest of all of Mr. Fezziwig's apprentices. He could do large sums and equations in his head, and he had an uncanny focus where business was concerned. He was rather handsome as well, in a stoic, measured sort of way. I liked the fact that he never went out of his way to impress me, as some of the other apprentices did. He simply did what he thought best. And I thought to myself, there's a young man that knows himself, knows what he wants, and has the brains and diligence to be a success. Naturally, I set my hat for him. I mean, why wouldn't I? It wasn't as if I would be going into business or starting a career of my own. Most women really didn't pursue careers in my day. I knew my best prospect for happiness was to be a loving mother and a capable wife to a successful husband. With both our efforts, at home and at large, we would thrive and be happy. However, I think I would have made a good travel consultant if that had been an option. I read a lot of books set in places other than England. As we got to know each other, I realized that I would never find that space in Scrooge's heart. It would be too full of ambition. Once he completed his apprenticeship to Mr. Fuzzywig, he would set out on his own to the City of London and set up his own counting house for the big financiers of our industrial capital. Would there be a place for me, I once asked him coyly. 
Oh, Belle, that's so much to consider, he hedged. You know, starting out, I will have to be very careful with expenses. I very much doubt I will be living anywhere near luxury. You wouldn't like that, would you? I would be happy wherever there was a husband who truly loved me, I replied, and who loved children. I don't need a stately home and servants, just the comforts of family and a roof that doesn't leak. He chuckled at that. The place where Ebenezer slept at the Fuzzywigs had a leaky spot on the roof, and if rain was fierce, he'd have to move his pallet around at night to stay dry. Dearest Belle, he said, I should take you and wrap you up right now and bring you with me to the city. I flushed. Could it be happening so suddenly? I was not sure I was ready, though I had given it much thought to what I might say if Ebenezer asked me for my hand. But I cannot, he continued. And all the light seemed to go out of the room. I must first be worthy of your love. I come from difficult means and a broken family situation. My mother, she, well, father had me board at school. A thoroughly horrible place. Run down, harsh, depressing. I spent too many Christmases there alone while the other boys went home for the holidays. Even when my little sister Fan came to collect me one year, it was only slightly better. Father and I never got along. He stopped at that point, and I realized that I had never known much about him before he came to Fezziwig's. More years went by until Scrooge was finally in business for himself, but our relationship never grew. On the contrary, it withered a little more each month, to the point that soon after my mother died, I knew it was over. I felt I needed to tell him as much. To you it matters very little, but I can see that another idol has displaced me. If it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve over what might have been. What idol has displaced you, he said. A golden one. Oh, that, he retorted. The world is hard on poverty, yet there is nothing it professes to condemn with as much severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, I said. All your hopes have merged into one hope of being beyond the world's sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion, gain, engrosses you, have I not? What then, he retorted. Even if I have grown so much wiser, I am not changed in my affections towards you. I said nothing, merely shook my head. Am I? he asked. Our contract was an old one, I said. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so until our industry might improve our worldly fortunes. But you are changed. Back then you were another man. I was a boy. The change in you is an altered spirit, not one of wisdom, but conformity to the God of success. I have thought about this many times and how I must say that I can release you. Scrooge was struck. 
Have I ever sought release? In words, no. But tell me this. If we had not had this old agreement, would you still seek out a dowerless girl of low birth? If you won her, would you not soon regret the choice as you advance through society weighing your actions and my person in the scale of gain? I already know the answer to this, and I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. I hope for your conscience' sake that you take some pain from this. I am not cruel, for I know that a very brief time will pass and you will dismiss the recollection of this conversation gladly as an unprofitable dream from which you awoke with relief. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Those were pretty much the last words I spoke to Ebenezer. I heard of his great redemption, of course, and was glad he finally freed himself from the chains that were crushing his heart. But I never felt the need to stay in touch with him, for I too was glad of the release. I know my place and purpose. The man who joined with me to find our worldly fortune together was not Ebenezer Scrooge. No, he was a kinder man, an enlightened man who saw happiness as a shared struggle and an equal partnership. I have loved him for all these years and would do it all over again if given the chance. From our many wonderful children, we were blessed with many wonderful grandchildren. And while it wasn't easy, it has been, in fact, noisy and messy, raucous, chaotic, and exhausting. I wouldn't want anything else. But I have to thank Ebenezer nonetheless. He showed me the picture of the hell that might have been if I had become Mrs. Scrooge and taught me to cherish all that is worthy rather than all that is wealthy. I am so grateful to know that, in the end, before it was too late, Ebenezer, lovely Giza, knew to cherish it too. The Ghost of Jacob Marley was played by John O'Hagan. Fred was played by Caleb King. Belle was played by Sue Ellen Cofftree. Mrs. Dilber was played by Chrissy Calkins Steele. Arthur Dodger, a.k.a. Turkey Boy, was played by Matthew Cox. Tiny Tim was played by Jack Dearborn. Mrs. Fezziwig was played by Jeff Calloway. Mrs. Cratchit was played by Trish Brown. Mr. Burnham was played by Andrew Martin. Incidental music and other melodies were supplied by maestro Matthew Cox. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Dickens of a Tale by Jeff Calloway, performed by Bankside Repertory Theatre. If you liked what you heard, we'd be very grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review us so that others can find their way to the work. We also encourage you to subscribe. We'll be producing more audio drama as well as a variety of additional programs related to the visual and performing arts. Links to our website and other bonus information can be found in the show notes. 
From all of us at Bankside Arts Collective, a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and yours.